Good morning, new community. Well, we have had some exciting announcements uh, this morning, and from men's retreat to giving to Kid City, I am uh, repping Kid City today with my Kid City shirt. Thank you. You too can have one of these shirts. All you have to do is volunteer. Didn't see that coming, did you? Today's infomercial. <laughs> well, uh, for all of you all uh, who are new and visiting here, we just want to welcome you again. I am Nicole Bullock. I am the interim pastor here at New Community, and it has been a joy and a pleasure uh, just being here and learning and living and journeying with you all. So if you are new, please don't be intimidated. It is a wonderful and welcoming community and so easy to get plugged in. So I encourage you to uh, stop at that connection table and uh, meet a new friend. We all have name tags. I don't have one on right now, but I am happy to tell you my name again if you introduce yourself. <laughs> with that being said, I want to jump into uh, the second week of our um, message in this series called Disillusioned. I hope it's been helpful as you have been processing um, what doubt looks like perhaps in your life and what it looks like for your faith to grow. And so I am going to start with the text uh, this morning. I would like you to go with me to Mark chapter 9. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. In case you don't have your Bible with you or you prefer uh, to hold something in your hand, you will find the Bible in your pew row. Yeah, I don't know what version it is, but don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> but Mark chapter 9, verse 20, New Living Translation. Let's read. So they bought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, worthing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes, verse 24. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into a violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out, this kind can be cast out only 
by prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a good father and you love to give good gifts. We thank you for the gift of this day and this fellowship. We ask, God, that by your spirit that you would continue to move, that you would uh, speak to us during this time where your word is going forward, God. And by your Holy Spirit, would you change us, challenge us, draw us into deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we all say together, amen. As you walk with Jesus, one of the things that you will experience besides um, having a Savior that knows you and loves you and feeling great comfort in his love, there is also a side of Christianity as you walk with Jesus where you will experience difficult things, right? Jesus even tells his disciples that he says, in this world you will have what? Trouble. And that is just a reality of what it looks like to walk with the Lord, what it, walks, what it looks like to live this Christian life. And so the question then becomes, how do we navigate that? What do we do? I grew up in a Word of Faith church, and one of the things that was practiced was, you know, kind of name it and claim it. If you say it, then instantly it changes. And if you don't say it, you know, it means that you have like a lack of faith. So if something was happening in your day, you know, someone says, how's your day going? You have to say blessed. Because if you don't say blessed, it means you don't have faith. Now, the, the faultiness with that, I, I understand, you know, why people came up with that and why that was important, because you want to have um, a, a position in which you're saying, I'm believing God. But the faultiness in that is that as our theology develops, we don't have a space to process disappointment and doubt. We begin to think that when we doubt, we don't have faith, that when we are disappointed, we're not very strong Christians. Uh, we, we can't be as connected as we thought we were to Jesus if we doubt, if we experience disappointment. But if we look at Scripture, uh, Scripture teaches us that we are anything but that when we experience doubt, when we experience disappointment, we have an opportunity to get even closer to Jesus. But here is the issue. Since uh, we don't teach much about suffering, since we don't learn much about suffering often, we don't really know how to navigate it when it comes, right? Um, we don't always know how to maneuver when things don't go our way. And so a question then becomes, what happens when disappointment kind of becomes the norm, when it kind of settles in, and you, you said all the right scriptures, you've done all the right things, how do we then present ourselves to the world, to the Lord, knowing that we're struggling? If I were to do a quick survey of the room uh, this morning, I would say, hey, how many people are suffering or struggling? Don't answer this or raise your hand. But how many people are suffering or struggling in this very moment? I'm almost sure that many hands would go up, even in a room full of believers, in a church on a Sunday morning. It is the truth that we all experience this sort of thing. When we look at today's text, we see a man, we see a parent who is desperate. He is struggling 
with something. I don't know um, how many parents are in the space, but it is a very difficult thing when your child is sick. My oldest daughter, who is here right now, she's like, Mom, how did I become a part of the sermon? <laughs> she got upgraded uh, to Mosaic, so now she has to listen to me talk. <laughs> But when she was younger, I call her my miracle baby, and I'm sure this is embarrassing. I did not ask for permission. Can I tell this story? She said no, but too late. <laughs> we'll process it later. I'll take you for ice cream. But when she was younger, she got very sick. She, uh, and her, her dad and I, we were in the hospital every day all the time. She was in critical condition. We were in the hospital for months, and it did not feel good as a parent. You're scared. You're wondering what's happening. And Jeff and I would go um, because she was in a medically induced coma for quite some time. And we would go, and Jeff would bring his guitar, and he would sing worship songs, and um, we would pray even while she was asleep. And while we were there and we were believing God, it was still so hard. And I can only imagine what it was like for this father as he saw his son suffering. I'm sure it was difficult. I'm sure it was draining, right? And so what this man does in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his son's suffering, as he is wrestling himself as a parent, he presents himself with all of his angst, with all of his anxiety, with all of his disappointment. He presents himself to none others, to none other than the disciples, the anointed ones the ones that are connected to Jesus, the ones who have, you know, that direct line to the Lord. Surely something is going to happen when I bring my son to Jesus. Surely something will happen when I bring my desperation to Jesus. Surely something will happen immediately when I bring my issues, my doubts, my anxieties, the things I'm wrestling with. Surely something will happen immediately when I present what I'm going through to the ones that know or should know the answer. The Father does this and you know what happens? Nothing. His son is still suffering, therefore he is still suffering. Now this particular story is told in more than one gospel, but I like to talk about uh, uh, this story from this gospel because there, there is a perspective that we see a perspective not just of the father, not just of the son, not just of the disciples, but there is a perspective that we need to pause and we need to look at. And so often when we look at this uh, particular text, if you've read it before or when you will hear it preached, we focus a lot on the Father and there's nothing wrong with that. But then there is another perspective that I want us to talk about that enters into the scene. It is the perspective of Jesus. How is Jesus feeling about what's happening 
here? How does Jesus feel when he arrives on the scene? Sometimes when we're going through what we're going through, we forget to ask, God, how do you feel about this? God, what do you say about this? God, how do you feel about my problem? How do you feel about my suffering? God, how do you feel about me? We forget that sometimes. We forget to take on that perspective. But in today's text, the story tells us that Jesus arrives on the scene. And when Jesus arrives on the scenes, there seems to be a kerfuffle. That's kind of my new favorite word to use. I actually use it in everyday life now. I say kerfuffle a lot. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, there's a kerfuffle. And everybody's like, what's happening? What's, I don't even know, but I, I like it. Try it. Everybody say kerfuffle. Okay. It felt good, didn't it? Okay. But anyway, Jesus arrives. Somebody's like, no. <laughs> Just keep trying it. And so anyway, Jesus arrives on the scene, and there is... <laughs> A kerfuffle. <laughs> there is some frustration, there is confusion, there is disappointment, there's all these things going on, and Jesus shows up and the disciples are arguing because this father came and his son is sick and is, is struggling and suffering, and all these things are going on, and the disciples are going back and forth about his healing. I mean, can you imagine Jesus showing up on the scene and the followers of Jesus, the disciples are arguing? Church people arguing? Never. Never, right? But sometimes it happens. We argue about the method. You know, should we go left? Should we go right? We argue about the message. Should we say this? Should we say that? We argue about momentum. How much of this should we do? How much should we take away? What, what is happening? So I imagine the disciples are going back and forth about what happened. Maybe it was our method. Maybe we didn't pray loud enough. Maybe it was what we said. It was in the prayer or the words that we mentioned. Maybe it's the momentum. Maybe one of us is not in alignment. There, there was something they may have been uh, going back and forth about. And Jesus' response when he arrives on the scene in verse 19, Jesus says, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now that's interesting because these disciples who follow Jesus, you would assume that when we present our things to the Lord, we're bringing it to the Lord. We're bringing it to the altar. We're presenting it to him. But maybe we're just not Fully, we're, we're saying it, but we're not fully uh, uh, opening our hands to present it to him. We say the prayer in front of the Lord, but then we walk away still holding on to the very thing we mentioned. We don't really bring it to him. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And they bring the boy to Jesus, who immediately begins to react to the presence of the Holy One. He begins to react to the authority and the presence and the power of Jesus, right? And in that moment, Jesus doesn't jump into action like you would think, right? He doesn't make the moment about himself. 
his power, his authority, his ability. Instead, he asked the young man about his suffering. He asked the father what's going on. Jesus cares more about the person before him than anything else happening. Because he says, how long has this been going on, right? Jesus stops. He begins to ask questions. He doesn't have to. He's the Savior. He's God in a bod, if you will, right? It's a pretty crude way to explain it, but, you know, we get it. He doesn't have to ask, but he does. He does. And Jesus doesn't take this moment to elevate himself, to highlight who he is or his power or his authority or his ability. He makes it about the young man in front of him. Doesn't that show you and tell you something about the compassion and love of the Savior? That he begins to focus on his suffering? It is, it's almost like in doing that, he affirms that we will go through difficult things and it's okay. He cares more about the individual before him than he does the crowd that's gathering. And some in that crowd are there to maybe try to learn from him, mimic his ministry so they could go and have super quick, fast results, right? Others are there to critique him. Others are there to copy it. Others are there to just completely stop it and shut it down. But Jesus does not get distracted by any of that. He doesn't get distracted by any of that. He isn't moved by any of that. He is focused on his creation. This morning, as we listen to this message, believe it or not, Jesus is focused on you. Oh, that got to feel good. That he is focused on his creation. Believe it or not, Jesus does not arrive on the scene. He is not worried about methods. He is not worried about the message or the momentum. What could be his next ministry growth spurt? He is not trying to get a caption for his Instagram. He is not worried about whether or not this will trend and become viral. He stops and he cares for the one in front of him because he is clear on his mission. What's the mission? Luke 4:18. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. The fog, the favor of God. And then we would see if we were continue to read this particular text that he rolls up the scroll and he gets to work. I like that. Jesus models what it looks like for us to follow mission. Jesus goes about his mission and Jesus is like, I know who I am. I know what I've been called to do. There is no imposter syndrome here. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know what I'm supposed to do. Wouldn't it be a relief if we could all get to that point? Wouldn't it be a relief if we could take off the mask 
I mean, all the real mask, the mask, all of it, right? Wouldn't it be a relief to shed false expectations? A relief to really be free to move forward in truth and purpose? Because when you begin to live that out, there's this newfound freedom. There's this newfound understanding and you begin to move forward in it. But since in this world we will have trouble, even when you're moving on that path and purpose, there will inevitably, inevitably be some sort of warfare, something or someone trying to drag you back into uh, uh, being unsure about who you are. Someone trying something or someone trying to drag you into a place where your mission and your view of who God has called you to be is obstructed by presenting all of these things, making you doubt and not have belief. You don't believe me? It happened to Jesus. And if it happened to Jesus, it can happen to you. And it happens right here in this text. You're like, what? It does? I didn't even see that. But it happens right here in this text. When Jesus comes to the man, the father, and is asking what's going on, and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? The father says, if you can. If he's talking to the Savior, and he goes, if you can. Now, let's not get on this dad too much, okay? Let's not beat him up. Because he's been through a lot. Disappointment and grief can weigh on you, right? Especially when it's become the norm. He had been let down by everyone, even those in the church, quote unquote, right? Those disciples who couldn't do it. This father had become double-minded. He wasn't quite sure. And you know what? We've all been there. We've all been there where we've accepted the lie that God doesn't want to help me. That lie of God doesn't want to help me eventually evolves into something even worse that says God can't help me. When we begin to go, God doesn't want to help me, and we keep believing that lie, it evolves into God can't help me. This Father who is before the Savior, the Anointed One, He goes, if you can. Let me ask you a question today. What requests have you thrown away? What prayers have you given up on? What promises have you forfeited? What dreams have you yourself been the obstacle to? All because you may have bought into the lie that God can't. Jesus stands before us, before us like he does the Father in his story, and he confronts the lie. Jesus tells the Father, he, he repeats what he says. He goes, if, if I can, <laughs> all 
things are possible to the one who believes. All things are possible to the one who will not allow doubt to obstruct their dreams, to abort their promises, to toss away their desire. Jesus goes, I am living proof. I am here on a mission. I am purpose-driven and mission-minded. If I can, anything is possible to the one who believes. And just like the son has a reaction to the presence of Jesus, his father does too, because then all of a sudden the father cries out, I'm double-minded. Ah, oh, he gives his confession. He goes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Ah, oh, I'm so torn. I'm in this crazy place with you, God. I believe, oh, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I believe this father is in a moment where he is encountering the truth. And here's what I mean by truth. I mean he's encountering Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And it was something about this moment, this, this moment that was pure, where he's in the pure, unadulterated presence of God. Because this father, in this moment, he reacts, he responds, and he confesses. And in essence, he really is repenting. He goes, I believe, but I still struggle with doubt. I believe, but I still get deterred. I believe, but will you help my un? belief. Let me say this, when the undeniable and unexpected power of God confronts you in a way where all of, you, all of a sudden our inadequacies and our shortcomings are no longer hidden, that we encounter the presence of God where we are completely exposed. We are completely naked before a holy God. We cry out like the prophet Isaiah does in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am ruined. Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, that's what happens when we really encounter Jesus' as Father. He then confesses, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just because the text doesn't present the Father with a physical ailment doesn't mean he's not in bondage. Just because he's the one that is not coming with, a phys with physical suffering doesn't mean he's not the one in bondage. It doesn't mean that the father is not in need of deliverance himself. And I know we may all have a lot of ideas, if you've been around church for any amount of time, of what deliverance looks like. For many of us, we may see this text and you think, man, deliverance has to be dramatic. It has to be big, it has to be loud, right? 
But sometimes deliverance is just simply the unraveling of lies. It's kind of like deliverance is like when you pull the thread and then the whole cloth falls apart, right? Deliverance is like pulling that string. Deliverance is like the unraveling of the lies, the lies that have made us angry, the lies that have caused disease and despair, the lies that tell us we are not enough, the lies that we have committed to become bedfellows with us, that we lie with each and every day. Listen, let me tell you this, especially if you grew up like me in Pentecostal sorts of settings, you don't need a deliverance service to be set free. You don't. All you have to do is just say, Jesus, Unravel me. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, unravel me and set me free. Unravel me from every lie. Unravel me from every deception. Unravel me from the self-sabotaging habits that I have. Would you unravel me from the pain? Would you unravel me from the trauma? Would you unravel, yes, God, would you unravel me? I dare you to just whisper that to yourself right now. Say, unravel me. Yeah. Hear this, God is here and he wants to remove anything that is hindering us from moving forward in ways where we experience his complete healing and presence. He wants to stop the things and experiences that have deterred our healing and our deliverance for much too long. But first, we have to fess up. <laughs> because did you notice as soon as this dad confesses and essentially repents, healing instantly happened. In today's text, I want to suggest that the real ailment was doubt. The real predator was unbelief. And that's perhaps why Jesus says at the end of this particular happening, when the disciples say, Jesus, what, what did we do? How did we, how did we not get this? How did we not nail this? Jesus says, this kind of thing, this kind of deliverance, this kind of healing, can only happen by prayer in some manuscripts at fasting. Perhaps healing really comes when we start giving up to gain. That sounds like fasting, right? When we give up the things we regularly consume to our detriment, yes? If you're like me, you like sugary things. And I, let me be honest with you, come Thanksgiving, 
I can eat a whole sweet potato pie by myself. I can. I can. That's, that's the truth. I, people have made me whole pans of peach cobbler before in the holidays. They go, well, are you sharing? Did you bring another pan for the people who live here? That's a no, right? I consume it. And anybody who likes the holidays like me, one of the things that you enjoy is the food and you eat and you eat and you eat until you can't move. <laughs> you're so stuck. You eat really to your detriment. Even though you know it's not good. That's why you only do it once a year, right? <laughs> Some of us at least. <laughs> but sometimes that happens in our spiritual lives where we consume things over and over to our detriment. We get online and we're way too influenced by the influencers who aren't even pointing us to Jesus. We get caught up in our past or our mistakes or whatever the case may be, and we start to consume it even to our detriment. Perhaps we have to start giving that up so we can gain more sound mind in order to be more attentive to the word and the work of God in our lives because I feel like that's what happens in the story. Sometimes we look at this story and we go, ah, oh, we need a big thing to happen. But perhaps it's the simplicity that, of what happens in the story that makes it so beautiful, that makes it so consumable. The simplicity of, God, help me to Give up the things that I consume regularly to my detriment so that I can gain an understanding of your word and your work in my life. What if deliverance is that? What if that's the thing that begins to pull the string and unravel every lie? Do you need deliverance from doubt this morning? Do you need healing in your body, mind, and spirit? Simply pray, unravel me, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe that God is so intentional that he presents truth to us just when we need it, right in time for us to consume it. He knows what we are going through because just like he does with the father and son in this text, before he jumps into action, he pulls our face to his and says, how you doing? I see the pain. I see the suffering, I see the challenge. Are you in need of something this morning? It's a simple prayer, unravel me. Because now this moment is your time for healing, restoration, and peace. This sermon was the Father's way of grasping your attention today, of, of gently placing his hands around your face 
exuding compassion from his being to you to just say, how are you doing really? And then he invites us after we are in a place where we are vulnerable enough to really name what's happening, he then invites us to fully receive that healing, to fully receive that peace, simply by saying and posturing ourselves and saying, unravel me. Church, hear this this morning, and I want to invite Sarah to come on up. Hear this this morning, church. Good things. Actually, no. Great things are in store for you. I didn't say easy, but I did say great. I want you to keep in mind that no matter what your path is, whether you're like the father in this text and you're struggling, the son in our text who has all this suffering, or perhaps even the disciples who are going, what happened? Why wasn't I effective? Like I thought, you know, you know, no matter where you are on the spectrum, as you look at this story today, Jesus invites you to walk with him, to talk with him, and most importantly, receive from him. And I want you to know that there is a blessing that lies in front of you. There is blessing in your coming and your going. And so I want to invite you this morning and throughout this series to remember perseverance in your times of trouble. Remember, greater is he that is in me, in you, than he that is in the world. May you stay the course. May you relentlessly believe all things are possible. All things, not just some things. Whatever impossible thing you have in your mind or you had in your mind when you entered into this space today, that thing too. He says, all things are possible to the one who believes. Would you quickly just bow your heads with me? I want to just say a quick prayer over us. That the Holy Spirit would really just seal this word in our hearts. That this would be one of those messages that we won't be able to shake. That we wouldn't forget. But would really be part of a deep spiritual formation for us. So God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you, God, that there is truth here in your word. And you say that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. So God, as you have been so gracious to us today, using these words and this message to kind of grasp us by either side of our face, to really say, how are you doing? To then say to us, it is possible. That thing you thought that was impossible, you said to us today, it is possible. So God, we ask, would you unravel us from every lie? We thank you that this message has begun to pull the thread. <laughs> Perhaps from that thing we have knitted together that no longer needs to be. We thank you, God, that we didn't need a dramatic sort of happening. We didn't need a three-hour deliverance service, but we simply needed an encounter with you. And so, God, we thank you in this moment for your peace, your presence and your power to unravel us. We are grateful and we say thank you. Amen.